Welcome back into the Card Chronicle podcast. I guess this is technically the first episode of the 2020-2021 season because we actually, for the first time in, I guess, almost exactly six months since all the way back in March, we have a actual Louisville Cardinal sporting event coming up in this week. It's game week. We're back. Mike Rutherford here with Danny Sennard. Before we get into any of that good stuff, Dan, it's been a while since the last time you and I have done a pod together. You have become a father once again. You're now the father of a family. How, how is life with three kids? Shout out to uh, the, the latest edition. Well, first off, it, it feels really good to be back on a, a certain sense of normalcy uh, to be back on the pod again. But I appreciate the Congratulations. Yes, we had a baby girl um, on May 28th, uh, Mallory Elizabeth. So she is the third baby. So we now have Camden, who is going to turn six in about a week. And then we have Lila, who is three, and Mallory, who is a little more than three months. So um, I think we're going to go ahead and call it quits. If uh, if something else happens, then uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll cross that path when we get to it. But we, uh, we're having a good time as a family of five. Mallory's been a unbelievable baby. So, yeah, things uh, from a family standpoint have been great, obviously. From an everything else standpoint, this has just been times that we're not accustomed to. But it has been nice to, to spend some quality time with family in these uh, kind of weird times. Everybody always talks about how going from one to two is this just – ridiculous paradigm shift like everything changes in your life it becomes you feel like you're having a kid for the first time all over again but then those same people say going from two to three is you know you kind of already feel like you've crossed that bridge like you've, you've got it down a little bit is that I mean do you guys feel like you're more sane this time than you were when you went from just Cam to Cam and Lila yeah I mean with this going on here I feel like my responsibility for the older kids has picked up and my wife has done an amazing job with with Mallory. But being a baby, I mean, you know how it is. They're, they're kind of attached to their mothers the first, you know, six to nine months. So uh, it's put a little bit more responsibility on me with the older kids. But Are you yeah, actually it, doing anything? Like, I'll, I'll, I'll cut you off right there. Are you actually doing it? Because I don't really buy it. I mean, my wife is a saint. And I mean, you know this because Mary's a saint as well. Like, well, I, I chip in when I can, but <laughs> I, I, I'm the guy that, you know, I try to kind of sneak throughout the day with doing as little as possible. But when I when I can feel those eyes on me, that's when I'll kind of step up and be like, should I be doing anything here? Uh, but yeah, I mean, you've known me long enough to where if I can skirt by, I'm going to skirt by. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not buying the whole like added responsibility. Like, I, think, I, I don't think you're doing that. Much, but props to the Sonards for being a family of three. Glad to hear you're not going to fill rivers it and go for like ten kids. But uh, yeah, uh, it's we all thought you were having a boy. Like every single one of us thought that kid number three was going to be a boy. I know you thought it was going to be a boy, and then it comes out and it's a girl. Uh, but it sounds like you guys are are handling the mild disappointment pretty well. Yeah, I, I, we all handled it well. My son did not handle it well. I think I sent you the the live reaction video. Uh, and yeah, he he's he's come around on it. He knows he's going to be the only boy, which I think in the long run um, will will be to his advantage. But yeah, we're uh, we're loving life right now. But we got to we got to ask you, how was Virginia's 
first birthday party. It looked like a doozy. I, I'm guessing it was a derby theme party. Yeah, she uh, she turned one on Saturday, so she'll always have that distinction. It'll be a cool fact when she gets older to have her first birthday come on the same day as Bizarro Derby. But it was good, man. It was uh, a little bit weird. I mean, we would have loved to have had like a full-blown, like big-time first birthday. But because of the state of the world, we just had family over, um, kept it outside mostly, and watched the race, did the cake, did that, all that stuff. But it still felt a, a little bit different. But it's it's just crazy to think that that was already a year ago. I know everybody talks about how quickly time flies, but it, to have it hit you in the face like this was uh, just just kind of bizarre. But she's doing great. I mean, she is a she's a monster baby. She's been walking for what feels like six months. <laughs> it's been like two, but she just flies around everywhere. She's wearing twenty four month old clothes. Like so, she it, it feels like we're like you know she like hasn't felt like a baby for a long time, but now she's officially I guess a toddler. But yeah, it was good. Uh, we we had a good time. She seemed to enjoy it. She didn't mind the crowd. She didn't mind the, the new people around. She kind of embraced it. But it's a little bit weird thinking to where we were a year ago. The day we brought her home from the hospital was Louisville's second game against EKU. And I remember, like, right when we got in the door, the U of L scored a touchdown. And, like, that was my, my first memory. I'm like, this is going to be great. Like, we're, we're her first game, five seconds into being in the house, Louisville scores a touchdown. And that was already week two. And now, fast forward a year. And uh, we've got an 11-game schedule and haven't even played the first game. It's just a, 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 the millionth example about how weird things have been for the past few months. But that is why we're here. It's officially game week. is going to play Western Kentucky Saturday night, 8 o'clock at Cardinal Stadium. Limited crowd, ACC network. And I, I guess we'll start here. We're not really going to dive too deeply into the game. I'm going to have Keith Wynn on later this week, and we'll focus more on the actual Western Kentucky game and the ins and the outs of the Hilltoppers and all that good stuff. But today just kind of want to start by talking broadly about just kind of the overall feeling. I think everybody feels differently as we look forward to the, the game on Saturday. It kind of, it sort of hit me this morning, like my Mary comes downstairs and she, like she's a big fan, but she's not, she doesn't live and die with a minutia like you do, like I do, like I assume most people listening do, but she's got, she comes downstairs today, she's got like a L shirt on, she's like, it's game week, uh, we're feeling back, like, and that kind of drove home, like, oh shit, like, We've got big-time L sports again. I got the email this morning about the game notes being out. But at the same time, it still feels – it's not totally normal. And maybe it'll feel more normal as the week goes on or when the game actually gets here on Saturday. But for right now, it kind of feels like if you ever had a moment growing up or where a holiday or a birthday or something big got postponed because somebody was sick or somebody was out of town and you tried to kind of like – reframe the experience redo it like i'm at a different time like you celebrated christmas on january 22nd like the the decorations were the same the people were the same the schedule of the day was the same but it still felt like inescapably different and that's kind of how i feel with this this right now like i'm so excited that we're playing football i'm so excited that we're going to see the cards on saturday but at the same time it's still I, i can't escape the feeling that it's all just still a little bit weird and fucked up am i alone in this no and but i am excited which is like the weird thing like i'm excited because there's been such a hiatus for college sports in general like in my lifetime i've never gone this long without watching some sort of college sporting event so the excitement of being able to watch competition is something that you know i have a feeling of but like you said, it, there's a big chunk of it missing. When you think football, you think tailgating. You think being with your friends. You think fans in the stands. Um, and we're not going to have any of that. 
Uh, I know to, to a point, I know they're going to let in some fans, but I mean, obviously it's not going to be the same, but yeah, I mean, the excitement of having it back, um, it, it's, it's something that I like, I'm very much looking forward to, but then you think the broader picture, okay, the big Ten's not playing the pack 12's not playing. This is just a weird season in general, even if we do really well and, you know, have like the most successful season ever and somehow made the playoff, is there going to be an asterisk next to it? So all these things are in the back of your mind. But um, but at the end of the day, it's it's Louisville sports, it's Louisville football. And um, I think just like me and you, I think people that love uh, the University of Louisville are, are excited to just have things, you know, a, a certain kind of sense of normalcy that sports are back. I'm also kind of excited that we're I, – maybe excited is the wrong word. I like the fact that our one non-conference game is coming on the first week of the season because uh, obviously it still counts as far as national rankings and you know, the, the playoff and, and bowl games and all that stuff is considered, even though we don't know how bowl games are going to look this year. But it still kind of feels like a little bit of a dress rehearsal for the 10-game ACC schedule, which I'm, I'm really excited about the – the whole like one division, one conference, 15 teams, 10 games, two teams that finish at the top play for the conference title. I think that's going to be really fun. Just kind of the, especially if Louisville gets off to like a three and zero start in league play, where you start looking at like is Notre Dame going to lose or North Carolina? They're three and zero too. We need them to lose. I think that's going to be real fun. And to be able to kind of ease into that and not have a game that means so much right off the bat is nice when. It, the, the you know when spring practice and even fall camp has been so weird like I think I think every fan base in America right now has to be at least a little bit concerned that things aren't going to go as smoothly as they normally would in mid September or early September just because who the hell knows which teams have have handled this the best like we're not behind closed doors nobody has seen any practices across the country we don't know what's going on so to be able to kind of get our feet wet against an opponent that should be you know Western Kentucky might have a fine season this year but they should be on the lower tier if you're ranking Louisville's schedule in terms of strongest opponents to weakest opponents. I think to be able to have that game first and be able to play on in your home stadium, it's 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 a nice way to get this weird season started. I agree, and for some reason, I think football more than other sports. Watching the first game, even if it's against a lesser opponent, at least this has been my history with watching U of L you kind of get a sense of how the season is going to go. Uh, let's go back to Cragthorpe's first year. I think the first game of the year we played, it was like Murray State or somebody. And, I mean, I, I'll never forget, I think like the first play of the season was like an 80-yard touchdown to Barnridge. I'm like, here we go. We're, we picked off right where we left off the Orange Bowl season. And then, like, you know, as the game is going on and they're scoring like 21 and 28 points, we're like, oh, well, but probably just a couple, you know, uh, miss coverages like not a big deal and then the next week they come out you know lose to Kentucky give up 38 points and then you know drop uh, or give up a 50 spot to Syracuse and the season was you know already on the way down or last year against Notre Dame in the first game you know everyone thought we might get run out of the building there was low expectations going into the season and we had a lead at one point in that game and it kind of set the tone for the season so um i'm excited to kind of see where we pick up from last year obviously the the bowl win was kind of a nice momentum going into this year and especially on offense you know we do have most people back besides makai but uh i i think it'll be a nice kind of uh 
kind of bar to see where we are at um, heading into the season. I think it's fair to say. I mean, I think the Crackthorpe season, I think we actually, like, we, we pounded Murray State. Like, the final score was like 70-7 to 7 or something like that. But I remember writing that it was the least impressive 60-point win or whatever the final was of all time because we had a bunch of penalties. Like, they moved the ball pretty well against us. That's what it, I think you're right, yeah. I, maybe they didn't score, but I do remember them moving the ball well. Yeah. I think you're right. We looked bad. Like, I, I remember thinking that. And then the next week we played Middle Tennessee, and, like, we won, like, whatever that was, like, 48 to, to 35. And at that point it That's was That's what it was. Okay, yeah. yeah. It was kind of like, we, this is not going to go well. I remember going – I mean, like, the panic level at that point in time was already off the charts from everybody. And the U.K. game, that was kind of – that was it. The loudest – I think the most visceral reaction from a Cardinal Stadium crowd in history was the week after the U.K. game. Because we all kind of like we tried, to, we were still trying to pick ourselves up a little bit. We're like, you know what? We won the Big East last year. We're still undefeated in Big East play. We can defend our title. We got Syracuse. They're terrible. We're gonna womp them. Like we've been scoring a ton of points. And that very first play of the Syracuse game, I think the ball was still in the air when the, the fans <laughs> started booing. Like there was the receiver. I think it was like I can't remember. It was like one of the kids with the short name, like Ty Webb, Taj Webb, something like that. And he was. I think probably 40 yards away from the closest Cardinal defender when the pass was thrown. And like the ball hadn't even hit his hands before everybody just started booing. That was the most angry I've ever seen a Cardinal stadium crowd. And it's been pretty angry before, but yeah, I'm trying to think of a season where the first game was just totally not indicative of how the the rest of the year played out. And I can't really think of one off the top of my head. So if Louisville comes out and looks good on Saturday, I think we'll know that all the the COVID stuff, the, uh, the, the odd circumstances surrounding the last few months, hasn't had a bad effect on the team, but I'm just excited to see him play. Uh, I think it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Looking a, a little bit big picture, I think it's interesting that just about every network or, or website or TV station that has done their their big ACC predictions, I haven't seen anybody, to my knowledge, put Louisville lower than fifth in the ACC. It seems like everybody has them right there between third and fifth. I think the lowest record I've seen has been a seven and four prediction. The best I've seen has been nine and two. Do you think, first of all, I, I think most Louisville fans, if you told them that a year ago, would have been just ecstatic. But do you think that this is fair? Like, are you, quote unquote, buying into the hype with this team? I want to say yes, but it is always different playing with expectations. You know, last year there was zero expectations for this team to do anything, and they obviously exceeded them by leaps and bounds. This year it's a little bit different. We're, we're, um, you know, people are expecting things out of this team. Uh, and you got to, I mean, the first thing really, I mean, you have to look at is the defense. How much are they going to improve off of last year? Um, obviously, that was a, a weak spot for us last year. So you, you definitely would like to see some improvement out of them. But I mean, overall, big picture, I, I feel confident just because of my faith in Scott Satterfield. I just think he is. Uh, he's so detail oriented and just the way it seemed the guys responded to him last year that I, I don't think the expectations are going to bother this team. I think he's that good of a leader. So that's kind of where I'm, uh, you know, feeling good about the seasons with him at the helm, but it's football. Anything can happen. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, if they win, I'm trying to give myself like what I would feel good about if if they won 
seven or eight games. I would call that a successful season. I really would, even though I think people might have their their sights set higher. But for being a, a second-year program under Scott Satterfield, um, I would feel pretty good if that's where we ended up. I'm with you. Uh, I mean, I, I'm i also with you in, in terms of, like, when I worry about, you know, was last season a little bit of a fluke and will they come back down to earth this year with heightened expectations – I kind of find myself putting my trust and my faith in Scott Satterfield and his X's and O's. I think it's also telling that, you know, for the past six, seven months with everything going on in the world and, uh, you know, players across the country speaking out and, and kind of revealing their ill feelings towards certain coaches, you haven't heard anybody within the UofL football program, like any of the players, say anything but, like, show love to Satterfield and the staff. Like, it's been universally positive, and it seems like they've all – like, everybody seems to be on the same page here. That makes me a lot confident. Like, the, the quotes from the coaches in the press conferences we've been seeing for the past month or so have all been really, I think, encouraging. Satterfield talked today about how they've expanded the playbook. And you've got so many weapons back on offense. And the fact that they went 2-0 and last year without Mekhi Becton, um, including a, a win in the bowl game, I think that has to leave you feeling that the offense is going to be pretty good. Like, even it, 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 I think the the bottom, the floor for this offense is still pretty good. It's still going to be one of the best in the ACC. And the issue is whether or not the defense can pick it up a little bit this year. And I have, I still, I believe in Brian Brown. Uh, I think he came with really, really highly recommend, high recommendations when he got here. I think the fact that you've got the same defensive staff in place for the first time um, for you know two straight seasons for the first time in five years is a big deal to a lot of these kids. Like they can't be as bad as they were a year ago. Like I, I and because of that, I think that you're going to see a Louisville team that, I mean, it's hard for me to see them going worse than seven and four this year. Like, I, that, and I'm with you. I think seven and four would be okay. I think eight and three would be good. Anything better is just fantastic. And I think most U of L fans are on that same page. Um, on Twitter, I asked you guys for questions. We said if we didn't get a lot of questions, we were going to talk about the the rain game from 2018 against WKU for two hours. Nobody wants that to happen. So thankfully, you guys hit us up with a bunch of questions. A lot of them were about the shitty audio quality of the podcast. That's not changing, folks. Like, look, <laughs> I know how to use Skype. When I figure out how to use something, it takes a lot for me to get away from it and try to learn something new. So for right now, you're at least stuck with it. We are going to try to, to get better sound quality at some point this year. And also, uh, I do promise, I know I've made this promise, and it's been a hollow one multiple times before, we're going to return to a normal schedule. We're going to have multiple episodes a week. We're going to uh, to keep this thing rolling. It's not going to be this episode and then not one for a month and a half. Um, thankfully, the world is at least getting somewhat more back to the, normal. The sound can. quality is part of the character of the podcast, in my it's opinion. It's Like, yeah, it really is. Like, I if if we had like a producer and microphones and stuff, I don't even want to listen to it. I need Skype. I need I need the choppy soundness of it. With I think, like you said, it's kind of the charm of the podcast. I want to hear these guys talking like they're in the <laughs> middle of a submarine that has was supposed to be out of service 15 years ago. Like that's that, that's what Card Chronicle podcast is, and it's what we're going to keep doing here. So we'll answer your questions here. Uh, we'll start with Corey, who said, kind of related to what we've been talking about so far in the episode, what's the moment in the first game that will make you feel some semblance of normalcy? And I guess the, you could answer that with, like, there's nothing that's going to make you feel some normalcy. But I think just being able to, like, see the ACC Network coverage, hear the song, see the logos – uh, I think that will at least make it, it – it, it's going to be weird seeing sh uh, shots of the crowd and knowing that there are only 18,000 people there and 
you know, I don't know if the coach is going to be wearing masks. Like, it's going to be impossible for it to feel completely normal, like like any other game you've watched before. But I think just that beginning, just sitting down, waiting all day for the game, watching the games that happened before, and then when the the network coverage starts, I think then I'll feel a little bit like we're back. Yeah, if this was the Petrino years, I would definitely say when the kickoff goes out of bounds right after we score a touchdown, I'd be like, all right, we're back, baby. This is it. Um, but no, I mean, I'm, I'm with you no matter how I'm watching Saturday, just with the atmosphere that's going to be in the stadium. Um, I, I don't know how I'm going to react. I really don't. Uh, I, I think 10 minutes into it, I'll probably forget all of it and just be just as much wrapped into it as I would any other U of L game. That's probably what's going to happen. But I mean, I won't lie. And I'm going to guess it's probably going to be weird at first. Yeah, I can't wait for us to all be like, wow, man. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to get like five minutes later, like, God damn it. Man. Yeah, run the damn route. Finish your route. Yeah, the, the, uh, the obvious answer to that question, if we did have Bobby back, would be the moment we have 12 men on the field. Oh, uh, 100%. Play. Yeah. But yeah, we can't make those jokes anymore because we have a competent head coach. So uh, beggars can't be choosers here. Uh, Gina says, first question. What's the baby going to be wearing for game day? I kind of talked about this before, but she is a like, – I don't know if people can really tell it from pictures. She's a hoss. Like she is – we had her most – we have a new checkup coming soon, but her most recent checkup, she was 97th percentile in height and 96th in weight. So she's kind of like outgrown all of the clothes that we had for her. And when she was born, I guess everybody sort of assumed that all these people were going to be buying us U of L stuff, and so we didn't get as much U of L stuff as we were sort of expecting. All of this to say, I don't even know if she has like a, a cards outfit for the game. Like I, I don't know if we need to go get some new stuff or what, but uh, we are. I, I'm not sure what she's going to wear. Does Mallory have cards outfits ready? She has a old Cardinal like cheerleading outfit, but I think that's probably more for like ages one to two we put it on lila at a tailgate one year it was a big hit but i want to get back to virginia because we need to talk about like the rutherford gene um for those of you who don't know mike so i've known him since i was little mike when i met him was actually now i'm <laughs> six three okay and right now i'm a lot taller than mike is but when I met him when we were – how old? I think we were 12 or 13 yeah. when I met you. You were taller than me and a lot bigger. And and then just overnight, I don't know what age, you really did just come to a halt as far yep. as stop growing. So, um, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that Virginia is like the point given of babies, just an absolute hoss. But, um, the yeah. The worst thing is – the worst part about it is – so, like, I was the first kid in, in my class to hit puberty – Mary was the first girl in her class to hit puberty. Poor Virginia is going to like, she, she's going to hit puberty when she's like nine. She's like, lay off, I'm starving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She, I mean, it's just going to be terrible. But yeah, that was, like, when she came, when she was born, she was like big uh, for her size already. So we were like, it's already starting. Like, she's going to, like, I, I legit stopped growing when I was 12. Like, I, I have looked the same since I was in sixth grade, which is just terrible. It's not fun. And I'm worried that she's going to be exactly the same. Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, we're talking about what the babies are going to wear. I need, I need to get my wardrobe straight for the year. Um, you know, I, I, my options are, are kind of running low. I have an old black Mario Uridia jersey that um, has seen some shit. So uh, <laughs> we, uh, we might need to change it up this year. It's been, it's yeah. I mean, I haven't had a real 
game day attire since like the Virginia basketball game, which feels like it was a billion years ago. I don't know, man. We're, we're both out of practice. It's going to be a big week for a lot of us. We got to get our heads on right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Chris Williamson, this is actually a question that th- there were a lot of variations of this, but everybody wanted to know like how long the Dan in the Dump segment for this episode was going to be because, I mean, this whole fucking year has been a Dan in the Dumps, basically. Do, do we even have a Dan in the Dumps for today? I mean, I, I don't even know what to say. Like, <laughs> this is absolutely ridiculous. Like, I, as soon as I come on and I like let the podcast was doing great. I mean, we started out it, Louisville basketball was on fire as soon as we started this podcast. And I tried to warn the people. I'm like, listen, bad shit happens to me. And of course, the season ends, college sports ends, you know, coronavirus and everything else. So, yeah, I mean, I tried to warn everyone. I don't know. This is just shit that happens. Um but I, I am I'm, I'm not a specific Dan in the dumps, but I, I think we've gone through enough just shitty things in the last six months where I'm hoping I don't really have a lot of Dan in the dumps stories going forward. Um, but I'm sure I will. I mean, plenty of dumb shit happens, but I, I've been so cooped up in the house, I feel like for six months that I, I haven't had the opportunity to do too much stupid stuff. I have a quick Mike in the Mud uh, story. <laughs> yes. And if you're if you're new to the pod, Dan in the Dumps, like bad stuff, usually small, like stupid bad stuff always happens to Danny. So we used to always end the podcast by letting him tell one of his quick you know, one minute, two minute anecdotes where something just stupid happened to him. I had something. So I was going into Kroger um, like last week. And they, they first, always happen at Kroger. It always yeah. happens at Kroger. <laughs> Every Mike in the Mud story, 95% of them happen at Kroger. Um, I'm walking in. I'm wearing my Detroit Lions football T-shirt. And this woman's walking out. And she walks. She gets like 10, 15 feet by, by me. And she says what I think what, what I think I hear is, go cards. I, I think she shouts that. I'm like, oh, maybe she, she recognized me <laughs> from somewhere. So I say, go cards. And then she goes, what part? And I go, oh, shit. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And she's like, what part of Detroit are you from? And at this point, everyone around here is looking at me. And I have this weird thought that I guarantee everybody listening has been in this situation before where you're like, am I really about to lie? Just like <laughs> make, make this stupid ass lie that I have no business making for absolutely no fucking reason just to try and get out. And I'm like, do, am I like Northwest Detroit? Like McDaniel's neighborhood? Like I've got no, I have no frame of reference. I have no connection to Detroit. And so I have to stand there and be like, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not actually from there. I'm a willing Detroit Lions fan in Louisville, Kentucky that's proudly wearing his shirt as he goes into Kroger to buy baby food and a new pack of like six bananas like that. that it, it was just such like a deflating moment. And then you walk in and everybody behind you is quietly judging you. And you know it. You feel the judgment on the back of your neck. And I just want to get out of there and cry. And that was that was my Mike in the Mud moment. God, first off, if you would have said like eight mile or just something outrageous, like it would have been like <laughs> yeah. the, the absolute best answer of all time. But 
I, I have done that so many times to where I don't hear a question and I either say like, yes, or thank you. Or, and I just like keep, and then there's a follow-up question and I like, it feels like someone just ripped my heart right out of my stomach and I have no idea how to respond. So I, I do feel it for you in that sense. Yeah. What would have been the worst play there? It's like, actually like the, you know, the trailer by Eminem, like we, we grew up right next to that trailer <laughs> park that's in the movie or like, you know, I was like three feet over from Kid Rock, where wherever he's from. Like I, I don't know. Like that's that's my. It's all I know about Detroit. I know two people that are from there. Oh God, yeah. But that was uh, it was bad. Uh, let's see. Alan asks here. Back to the Twitter questions. Everyone likes to talk about players they think will be a positive surprise or breakout. But because I'm a pessimist, who is a player or players that you think won't live up to the hype they're receiving this season? I, I like it, Alan. He's in keeping with the theme of 2020. Let's take any positive feelings we have and just kind of shit all over them, at least partially, so we feel bad about it. Um, I'm trying to think of my answer here because I, like, there's still not a lot of individual hype on the defensive side of the ball, so I feel like you have to go with an offensive player. I think we're, we're there, there's going to be two players we're going to say that. Yeah. And that that's I, I, like I'll I'll pick one of them. I think I think it's and this is not a knock on the guy. Um, Cause I think he's really good. I just think it's the position that he plays and there's going to be other opportunities. I think it's going to be uh, JV on Hawkins only because um, he did get a pretty big workload last year. And I, I still am really high on Hassan Hall. Um, I could see him getting more touches and I know they're, they're deep at the running back position. Um, plus he was running behind Makai Becton for a lot of the year. Um, and I'm not saying they're going to be bad on the offensive line by any mean, but I mean, you're talking about a, a, a top, ele- top 10, top 11 pick there. So that would be my guess, but I still think he'll be impactful. I just don't know if he'll put up the numbers that he did last year. I think that's fair. I mean, he was so good last year. And the other thing is he's so small. The fact that he was able to play a full season and carry a pretty heavy workload without really missing any time was pretty impressive. And I don't know if you can expect the same thing again. I'll say, and I'm like you, I feel like I have to kind of frame this the right way because I think he's going to have a really good year, but maybe the expectations have gotten just a little bit too high for Mikel Cunningham um, because you do kind of, speaking of the injury bug, like he didn't, he only played, I think, three or four full games last year as Louisville starter. He started off as the, you know, he's hurt to begin the year. He was the backup to Juwan Pass. Uh, he came in in a couple of games early then when he was named the starter. Uh, he got banged up a bunch of times. Evan Conley had to come in and replace him. There were a couple of times where Conley came in and replaced him just because of play. Um, he was fantastic. He made a lot. He, I mean, he was much better as a thrower last year than I ever thought he could be. But there were still a couple of a few games where I think his stats got a little bit inflated because it would be, you know, a swing pass to Tutu Atwell that went for 65 yard touchdown. Um, and so, again, I think he, I, I think he'll have a really good year. But the people that are trying to make the comparison to Lamar Jackson, and I know that that's a, a very small fraction of, of the, the football population, I think that's maybe a little bit unfair to him. So that would be, again, I, I know we both kind of hedged our answers, but that's where I go. I, I actually, I thought you were going to say Tutu Atwell, only for the fact that the hype is out of control, and deservingly so. He had an absolute monster season last year. Uh, but I feel like, as far as pass catching options, we last year we had Seth Dawkins and Seth was fine. Um, I, I think um, we're going to have a couple more options this year. Dez, I think, is 
primed to be a breakout candidate this year, his second year in this offense. We saw the emergence of like Marshawn Ford. Um, so I just think there might be some other options that could take away some, and hopefully not, because I want Tutu to touch the, touch the ball as much as possible. But um, I mean, the numbers he put up last year were insane. So, it, you know, do I want him to repeat? Obviously, but I could see those numbers possibly dipping, you know, a little bit as well. All right, uh, moving on. Let's see. Jeremy says, why the fuck is game day at Wake Forest to watch them get beat by 40-plus points by Clemson again? I This is kind of how out of touch I am. I don't think I even knew that this is where game day was this weekend. Did you know this? No, I had zero idea. I'm trying to think of – so if you look at the schedule for this weekend, there's not really a game that's like an obvious – I mean, Syracuse is playing North Carolina. Duke is playing Notre Dame. Um, Oklahoma is about to hang 55 points on Bobby Petrino, which is going to be wonderful. Uh, UTEP is playing Texas. There's not really like another game that even competes with that one. So I guess that's the best game on paper. And you're going to have, I mean, Clemson's a, you know, top two team. I, I, I mean, I guess that makes sense. I don't know. I, I wish yeah. there was option, maybe, but- maybe they haven't been to Wake Forest before game day and they want to say they've been there, but you know, probably a shitty situation if you're a Wake Forest fan that they're going to come while this virus is here and they can't have any fans. So I don't know. Um, yeah, kind of it, like you said, I, I had no idea they were going there. Um, and that's just part of the like if it was a normal year in college football, I would 100 percent know where they're going, what the big games were. But this is just like, you know, a strange start to the season. Speaking of Wake Forest, the amount of people that sent messages to to me saying that we needed to do an emergency podcast when they fired Danny Manning was truly staggering. Was just <laughs> was like it was one of those like how the hell did we get here moments? Like I definitely had imposter syndrome. I was like the fact that people are recognize are seeing Danny Manning being fired and they're thinking of my friend Danny who has been just moronically touting this guy for years. Made me so happy. Have you recovered from Danny Man- the Danny Manning era in Winston-Salem coming to an end yet? Barely. Um, I, who, did they hire someone? I, who did Wake Forest hire? Do we know this? They hired C. Forbes from uh, ETS. Oh, yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, um, and I think he ruffled some feathers when he, uh, when he got there. But I'm interested to see where Danny ends up. I don't know why I had such big expectations. He did such a good job at Tulsa. I was like, he's going to kill it here. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it is what it is. It was he, he went out with a whimper. He didn't get the send-off he'd actually deserve. Um, so, yeah, we're all sad. Uh, my guy Samson says, what do you think about the spread? 11.5 is a little on the low end, if you ask me. I certainly feel like we can win by two TDs. I, feel, like, I don't think... Vegas Insider still doesn't have the game, but if you go to Odd Shark and a couple of other places, they have, I think, four or five spreads. And I've seen the highest I've seen is 11.5. The most consistent one I've seen is 10.5, and there are even a couple in the single digits. And this is kind of – it's indicative of a theme that I've seen the last couple of months. As much – we talked about all the networks, all the CBS people, the ESPN people who think Louisville's going to go 9-2, and 8-3, and three, compete in the ACC. And, hell, the media voted Louisville fourth in the preseason poll last week. Vegas is not nearly as high on Louisville as the people who cover the sport seem to be. I think our like, our odds to win the ACC were tied for seventh. Um, we're still like 50 to one to win the national title, despite having three people on the Heisman list. And this spread, yeah, to me, it, it kind of smells like 
like this should be a max bet. I don't know what Vegas knows that the rest of the world doesn't or what they think they know, but the fact that Louisville isn't being favored to beat Western Kentucky by at least two touchdowns with so many guys back on offense is surprising to me. Yeah, I would say that's kind of a scary line. Um, for me, at least, if I'm a Louisville fan, I would wonder why it wouldn't be more. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not a Western uh, Kentucky football aficionado, but I think they had a pretty nice season last year, if I'm correct. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe maybe it's a maybe it's more indicative of uh, they're a little bit higher on Western. I don't know. The the funny thing is. Um, spreads the first couple weeks of the season at least in my eyes those are the those are the times I feel like you can actually get to Vegas because I think they still are trying to feel out which teams are good and which aren't and sometimes you can uh you know find a couple spreads that are nowhere near what they're supposed to be so maybe this is one of them and um or or maybe we're just all wrong and the game might be closer than we think yeah, especially this year, too. I don't think anybody knows what to expect. Western, by the way, they went 9-4 and four last year, uh, won their bowl game. That's pretty impressive. Uh, first year. They, they kind of had a similar like, season like we did. We had played that terrible game in 2018 where, honestly, they, they probably should have beaten us. That's our only win that year uh, besides the whoever we beat from the FCS in the, in the first game of the year. Western, I think, went 1-11 that year. We both fire our coaches. They hired Tyson Helton. We hire Scott Satterfield. Both hire, both hires kind of had mixed reactions nationally, and then both guys just blow it out of the water in year one. So they've got some guys back. They they named the kid from Maryland. I know the starting quarterback. Um, he's a dual threat guy. It's I, I mean I wouldn't be shocked if Western comes in and covers the spread and plays us to like you know a touchdown or, or ten points or something like that. But I'd be surprised. I I think Louisville wins this game by at least a couple of touchdowns and they cover that spread. We got a hoops question here. Uh, people are asking if let's see here. Chaz is asking if we saw the John Rothstein preseason ACC basketball rankings where he had a sixth behind Miami. Uh, saw that. I look preseason predictions are tough. I've made some really bad ones over the years, but I'll say this: I don't think this Louisville basketball team is finishing behind Miami this year. I'll be very surprised if they finish. I won't say if they finish sixth, but if they finish behind Miami. I'll be surprised by that. I'm, and we'll talk more about this the closer we get to the, the basketball season, whenever it does wind up starting. But I'm kind of bullish on this team. I think they're going to be better than a lot of people nationally think they're going to be. <laughs> it's like you literally read my mind. Um, the hype videos. It took me like two Louisville Twitter hype videos for me to officially buy in the team. I'm like, oh, my God, I think Sam can bench 350 now. So <laughs> that's definitely at least a two seed. Um, but, no, I also saw that Rothstein has – uh, David Johnson is his first team all ACC point guard, um, which is nice to see. But I, gosh, I like the roster. And uh, like, I was listening to Max press conference on Zoom. This was like a month ago. And he's a guy I feel like never really talks individually about players. Um, he, he's more of like Rick used to always single guys out and talk about their summer what they need to do to get better. Do they need to lose weight, work on their shot? Chris is more of a team guy and keeps everything kind of team oriented, but he was quick to point out that he thinks Carlick Jones is going to be one of the better guards that he's had come through here, which really kind of, you know, opened my ears a little bit. So I'm, I'm very excited to see 
kind of what sort of product we're going to put on the floor um, this fall. And I'm, I'm the same way. I'm, I'm bullish on this team. I actually think that uh, they can they can do some damage. I miss the Rick hype so fucking much. So, so do I. I mean, like, Matt's wow. awesome, but God, those Rick press conferences were just fucking golden. It was always so wrong. <laughs> He'd be like, I know, I know. He's like, yeah, you know, Donovan's working hard. He's still got a long ways to go. He's like, I want to talk about Angel Nunez for a second. <laughs> He's like, this guy is going to yeah. be the best shooter in the ACC this year. And, like, after a while, it became like, the first few years you kind of bought into, you're like, oh, my God, like, Otis George is going to be a lottery pick. That's what, that's what Rick's saying right now. And then as you got a little bit older, I think everybody kind of took it for what it was worth. Like, yeah, maybe Jalen Johnson's going to be a three-point threat this year, but probably not. Like, that's pro- it's probably not going to happen, but it's fun to talk about. Rick gets it. He's just throwing us a bone. Like, that's fine. Yeah, he'd be like, Jared Swapshire needs to get serious if he actually wants to play Division One basketball. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, and I'm like, I'm like, God, what is going on at practice right now? I'm dying to know. Like, he just would like get my, you know, head spinning with possibilities on what the team could be, um, just with some of his individual analysis. One of the most overlooked. Everybody loves to focus on, which has gotten blown up, and it actually isn't what he said because he said it on our radio show back in the day. People always say Patino thought Donovan Mitchell wasn't ready for the NBA, which wasn't what he said. He kind of he had said when he first declared. If he's not going to be a pick before, I think it was pick 20, he needs to come back and work harder for another year. But if he can go and if he can you know, impress some people in these workouts and have a great combine and be a top 15 pick, then we'll have a conversation. Was like not, not Clearly not predicting Donovan to be as good as he's been, but the, the quote that everybody needs to hammer him on is when he signed that class, he said that Dang Adele was going to be the highest draft pick he's had during his time at Louisville and the best NBA player that he's had at Louisville. Donovan Mitchell was in that same class, who not only is the best NBA player to come out of Louisville during the Patino era, but is quickly becoming the best like Louisville player in the NBA that we've ever had, that we've ever produced in any era. I know Wes Unseld had that, uh, you know, the famous rookie season, but Donovan is shattering every record for every Louisville player that's ever been in the NBA. And Rick Patino saw that guy and was like, Nah, it's Dang Adele. He's gonna he's gonna be the guy. Like that's the quote that people need to hammer him for. It. So funny, funny you say that because I must have bought into it because when Dang Adele hit his first like mid range jumper, I was like, okay, he's gone next year. That's a top <laughs> ten pick. Like I was like, that's Kawhi Leonard, hundred percent. Like I couldn't. I was like, we've never had a guy this smooth from the mid range. It's like, uh, yeah, we we obviously there was some holes in in Dang's game and and motor that we kind of left out. He did kind of get fucked, though. Like, he actually, for as much shit as people always gave Rick Pitino for not playing freshman enough, which I, I still think is the most overblown thing of all time, Dang started as a true freshman those first couple games, and then he got hurt and never really got back in the flow. And he was still pretty good. That saw, I mean, he was better. He, he was at least more consistent than Donovan his sophomore season um, when Donovan was a sophomore, too. And then as junior year, I think when, when David Padgett was the coach, he just – he didn't know what to do, so he just shot. I, yeah, I think his his thing was confidence. I think with each year, kind of his confidence just got more shot and shot. And, you know, no one knows what was going on behind the scenes, but it just seemed like with Dang, maybe there was something there behind the scenes that, that we didn't know about. I'm not saying that that happened, but it just seemed like something else was going on there. Yeah, so he was he, I think he still could have had a much, much better college career and still could have he could have been a pro and he's he's doing fine. He still might be. Uva uh, yeah. Hot Hot says, where does the 1999 Southern Miss illegal fake punk game rank in the most bullshit losses for Louisville football? 
that was the famous the, the Mills Kills game. Uh, yeah. For you kids listening, this was it, this was maybe one of the most mad I ever was after a little <laughs> event when I was a kid growing up because this was we'd had the terrible Ron Cooper era. John L. Smith comes in in '98 and we go to a bowl game right away. And then a year later, we're about to win a conference championship and go to the Liberty Bowl, which at the time was like the, that, that was, was like the Sugar Bowl, basically. We we were going nuts about this, and we've got Southern Miss, who was the juggernaut in our conference at the time. We got them on the ropes, and they run this absolutely bullshit play where a dude is standing like he's like he's out of bounds, but he's technically like two inches inbounds, and they fake a punt, and it costs us the conference title. If it's not at the top, it's near the top because we deserve to win that game. I, the only game that stands out as being more bullshit is the the unfair catch game, the UConn yeah. game, Craig Thorpe's first year. Does anything else jump out to you? No, and I do remember that might be like the most like volatile reaction in Papa John's stadium that I can remember. People were absolutely furious. It was like the first just people going ape shit game. Because that was, I, what was that, the second year in Papa John's Cardinal Stadium, I believe, I um, that that happened. Um but yeah, I mean, I just remember, and I was still young, so I I, I had kind of grasped it. I don't know if I fully grasped it, but my dad was absolutely fucking furious. So I was like, okay, my dad is hot right now. This must not be great. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that was. Uh, if it's not at the top, it's it's right up there. Uh, let's see here. A lot of people still asking about Dan the Dumps. Um, that <laughs> like half these questions are about Dan the Dumps. Uh, John the Boss says. Would love to hear talk about the big boys up front on both lines, starting group rotations, all that good stuff. How will they play against? Um, uh, how will they stack up against the top five ACC teams plus WKU? Um, I, like the good thing about the offensive line is that we're finally starting to get some depth. Last year, as good as the, the top seven or eight guys were, there was nothing behind them. And I think now you're seeing there was so much talk when Scott Satterfield got here and said, "Look, we've got." more wide receivers than we have offensive linemen on the roster. Like that's a little bit of an issue. That that's a roster mismanagement. You've seen them go out and get some transfers. They got the kid coming in from UConn who was a three year starter. They've got some JUCO guys. They've recruited those positions heavily on both sides of the balls in the trenches to get uh, a little bit more thickness. I, I think I think they're gonna be fine up front. I really do. I think the defensive line, which isn't as much of a, a big deal as it would be in a in a four down lineman scheme, I think it's going to be better this year. And then offensive line Again, I think the added confidence that you have from beating Virginia, who won the Coastal Division without Mackay Becton, and then winning your bowl game without Mackay Becton, I think I think all those guys that you have coming back, they're probably coming in with a little bit more confidence than they would have if they hadn't played a game without their you know first round draft pick last year. Yeah, I I agree with you on all fronts, and what I'm about to say isn't earth shattering or news, but I I think to take the next step as a program. Um, to build that depth on the offensive and defensive line, that's when we're really going to see this program take off. And I think they're headed in that direction. Um, and I guess we'll see this year, you know, how much um, how, how much improvement, especially on the defensive side that, that there's been. But I'm with you. I, I, I do think um, with the experience they got coming back on the offensive line that that will be fine. And I, I mean, Dwayne. Ledford has me so confident that he'll be able to handle that group with, you know, with even with Makai leaving. Um, I, I think things will, will go off without a hitch just fine with him at the helm there. All right. Last question here from Corey. And he's just wondering if we went ahead and bought season tickets for this year. Um, I can't speak for you. I know you've had season tickets in your family forever, Dan. Um, 
we actually we've had season tickets since Charlie Strong's first year back in 2010, and we already we weren't going to re up this year. Just uh, couldn't afford the cost anymore. And also, like I mean, Mary got to go to I think one game last year. When you've got a, a one year old, it becomes a lot harder. And also, like all of our friends that we've been tailgating with that now have kids, they're not able to make games as consistently. So we were at least going to take a couple of years off before we could get back in the season ticket game. So. We were going to do that before the diminished attendance, and I don't think we even would have had a chance with uh, only eighteen thousand people going. Did your uncle? Did he re up? <laughs> no, we did. We did not re up. So, um, and we're kind of in the same boat now. That I'm here in Columbus, Ohio. My brother is in Cincinnati. Um, so, you know, we get back when we can. Um, but just with the you know, situation this year with the lack of fans, we, we just decided this year we, we were going to opt out, but um, we're hoping it's just a one-year thing and, and we'll be back on the train, you know, come again when everyone's back in the stands. So what's the Dan game plan for Saturday night? How are you watching the game? I actually, so big weekend in the Snard household. Um, my wife's birthday is Saturday, so happy birthday to my wife. Um <laughs> And my son's birthday uh, party, even though his birthday's next week, my son's birthday party is Sunday. So we have the entire fam coming up. So we're actually going to do like an early dinner out um, while my, my parents watch all the grandkids. And then um, we're going to come back and watch the game as a family. So just just put up the new TV for football season. My son broke the last one shattered it, so uh, that's where that's where we're at um, there. But just put up the new TV yesterday, so we're ready to go. All right, I said that was the last question, but I got to get to this one because it affects both of us. Dustin says, who do you guys trust more with the game on the line, Darius Washington or Michael Lorenzen? <laughs> oh, God. I promise you, at this point in my life, it is Darius Washington. Michael Lorenzen is so mother effing bad it's not even funny i literally every time he, he trots out of the bullpen i turn the reds off because i'm like well here comes two walks and a homer a double like the three batter minimum is the worst thing ever to happen to michael lorenzen of all time because you can just tell two pitches in that he doesn't have it and he's pitching scared from the get-go but that's that's not to say darius washington is by any means clutch but michael lorenzen is just flat out awful at some point, they've got to be like, if the next time you give up a lead, you've got to start wearing a, a uniform that fits. Like, you, you can't have the schmedium, like, showing off the guns anymore because he's obviously doing it for show. Like, make him wear a 2XL jersey if, if he's giving up three runs in the eighth inning again. Like, maybe that'll get his ass or his head out of his ass. But Yeah, I'm, no, David <laughs> Bell, yeah, keep putting him out in crucial situations of the eighth inning and blowing leads. Like, David Bell is absolutely worthless sorry i'm going on a reds tangent we everyone knows they're horrible i love that we started this podcast by talking about how long it had been since we've done this and how the world's still like gone to hell and we're ending it with the reds which feels appropriate because yeah. the reds are never so, it's like <laughs> some things always stay the same do we have a do you have a quick day in the dumps or do we want to go ahead and just wrap this up let's wrap it up when we do it next time i'll i'll i'm sure there's one i'm just not thinking of i mean it's been six months i know i've done dumb shit i just can't think of any off the top of my head so uh i'll i'll have one for next episode all right we uh i'm gonna be with keith Wynn in a couple of days we'll have that for you we'll do a full-on western kentucky preview we're gonna get back to multiple episodes a week if you haven't yet subscribe to the pod Uh, you can find it anywhere you can find podcasts itunes uh, apple 
Spotify, all that good stuff. It feels so good to be back. It feels so good to be talking about a Louisville sporting event. Uh, hey, man, five days away from kickoff. It's, it's Let's something. do it. It's actually happening. It's actually happening. Uh, so until next time, we'll talk to you guys later. Go Cards. Go Cards.